Please turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, if you're using the Black Bibles, that can be found on page 178. Last week we began a series through this Old Testament book of Joshua called Every Promise Fulfilled. And last week we saw from Joshua 1, God officially commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, to lead the Israelites into the promised land of Canaan. And so as God commissioned him, he, God encouraged Joshua with his promises and, his, and, and the power of his word. And as, as we saw God encourage Joshua, we too were reminded that we also have been commissioned by God to make disciples of Jesus Christ through the word of God. And even as we do that, we know we face challenges. And, and I was reflecting on even our members meeting last Last week when we're, when we're talking about some of those challenges. But even as we face challenges, we have the same promises and truths that Joshua had. That was encouraging Joshua. And that is that God is with us. Remember we saw that from Matthew 28. That Jesus is with us as we go out into this world and make disciples. Jesus is with us as we seek to follow him through his Holy Spirit. We go out with the assurance of God's promises. We go out with the confidence of God's presence. We go out with the partnership of God's people. So thankful for our church family and that we don't follow Christ by ourselves, right? He's gifted each one of you. And we can encourage each other as we follow Christ together. We can serve each other in love with the gifts of grace that we've been given. And so that was all from the from chapter 1, and now today as we move into Joshua 2, we're going to see where Joshua strategically plans for the Israelites uh, to begin this campaign into the land of Canaan, to begin this campaign into the promised land. And so I've entitled the sermon today, The Reach of God's Sovereign Grace. The Reach of God's Sovereign Grace. As we go through chapter 2, you'll notice that the, this account centers around one particular person, a Canaanite woman of Jericho there named Rahab. And so I've broken the passage down under two main headings. You can see that in your notes. Rahab's deception and Rahab's faith. And obviously you can see we'll spend more time on the second part there because there's some subpoints I want to make under Rahab's faith. So let's begin now with Rahab's deception. Look with me at verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So Joshua sends out two spies on what we would call an intelligence mission. Right there to cross the Jordan, spy out the land, specifically Jericho, in order to provide the Israelites with any helpful information for Israel's impending invasion of the land. And once in Jericho, these two spies lodge at the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Now, you know, again, that might... that that might immediately raise some questions. Like, why would they go there? What's going on here? Well, this doesn't mean that these two spies were 
or being immoral. It doesn't mean that they were pursuing a, a sexual encounter or anything. What we need to understand is at that time, a, a house of prostitution also served as, uh, as a tavern or as an inn, <laughs> right? And so this, in that sense, this was a reasonable, reasonable place for them to visit. Uh, and we don't know if they were going there just because they thought they could lay low or if they were going there thinking, hey, maybe we can kind of get the feel of, of what people are thinking and saying, right? Because there's going to be people coming in and out. So maybe it was a little bit of both, right? But at any rate, this is where the spies went, no doubt hoping to not bring a lot of attention to themselves. <laughs> but that being said, look at verse 2, though. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. So again, maybe these spies weren't very good spies, right? Maybe they weren't very discreet. So much for a secret mission here. These two Israelites have already been recognized as to their true identity and as to their mission. And it's reported back to the, to the king. Again, a lot of, you know, the... The passage doesn't give us a lot of details of how that happened, and it's trying to get us more to what it wants us to focus on. But but we could cut the the spies some slack because we're going to find out later that the whole city of Jericho was already in fear of the Israelites, so they're probably on high alert, right? They're already probably uh, very aware and, and, and on guard of any kind of Israelite activity that would be coming in. But at any rate, these men, these spies have been discovered. The report has made it back to the king. So this is not good, right? This is not good for their own lives. This is not good for their mission. Look at verse 3. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who've come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. So you can imagine a knock on Rahab's door and, and she opens it and here's these, the king's men, here's soldiers saying, hey, we heard there's Israelite spies staying with you, hand them over. And so again, you're, you know, if you didn't know the story, you'd be thinking, wow, this doesn't look good at all for the spies, does it? I mean, surely this, this, this Canaanite woman, this citizen of Jericho, Rahab, I mean, she feels no loyalty to these spies, I mean, she's probably just going to hand them right over, right? But look at verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, so here's how she replies to the king's men, True, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So again, if, if, if you're pretending this is the first time you've ever heard this account, it's a, that's a surprising twist, right? Here's this Rahab, this Canaanite woman covering for the Hebrew spies. She's not turning them in. What's going on here? She's risking her own life, right, to do this. Verse 7, it, her deception works. So the men, the king's men, pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So they, because of what Rahab said, the, these, 
these uh, soldiers or whoever they are, the king's men, head off in the direction that they think the Hebrew spies went. And so we see Rahab's deception here, right? And, and uh, historically, that, that, I understand that raises some questions in our minds, right? Whenever we see someone lying in Scripture, you know, deceiving someone in Scripture. And so let me just say a brief word about her deception as a whole. We're going to see that Rahab's lies are neither condemned nor commended in this text. So this passage is not one that's teaching that, hey, lying is is justified, right? As long as the ends justify the means. No, I don't think it's teaching that. But we do have to say Rahab seemed to have been trapped here in a moral choice where if we play it out, really, either option would have been sin, right? Either she exposes the spies and brings about their execution, or she lies about knowing where the spies are. So we, one way of explaining this could, could be she chose the lesser of two evils. And so while her lying is not commended in the text, what we're going to see now as we move into verse 8 is that her deception was motivated by this growing spiritual awareness in her own heart. And that leads me then to the second heading where we'll spend the remainder of our time then. Rahab's faith. Right? We've seen Rahab's deception, but now we're going to see Rahab's faith. And I broke that down into some subheadings. The first is a confession of her faith. In verses 8 through 14, we see Rahab confess her faith in the God of Israel, in Yahweh. Look at verse 8. Before the men lay down, so now that we're talking about the Hebrew spies, right? Before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came up came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Wow. Wow. Think of, who, think of who is saying this, right? She's a Gentile, pagan, Canaanite woman living in Jericho who's also a prostitute, and yet she, she just uttered these words. Rahab tells the spies that she and all of Jericho had heard about God's mighty acts on behalf of Israel. They've heard how God had powerfully delivered the nation of Israel from bondage in Egypt. They heard how God had miraculously parted the Red Sea for the Israelites, only then to bring it crashing down on the Egyptian army, drowning the entire army. They'd also heard then later how God had delivered Israel from the hands of these two Amorite nations, how Israel had destroyed Sihon and Og, two Amorite kings there on the other side of the Jordan. So these are major 
events that have taken place, right? And so, you know, however the news is, is spreading, right, as people come to Jericho, they're saying, did you hear what happened? This, this relatively tiny group of Hebrews, their God is just delivering them left and right. He delivered them from Egypt. He delivered them from these two Amorite nations. And so word of God's power and of God's uniqueness and faithfulness was, was spreading. Rahab says these great victories had caused all of Jericho, look at the way she says it, to melt in fear because they can see that Israel's God is powerful. Now think about this. The whole city recognizes this. The whole city is afraid, but yet it's going to lead to Rahab's personal profession of faith. And did you notice as well that throughout these verses, Rahab is using the covenant name of God, right? Whenever you, in the Old Testament, whenever you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's, that's telling us that it's the name Yahweh, the covenant name of God. And look again at verse 11. The Lord, Yahweh, your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. You see, Rahab lived in a polytheistic culture, right? The nations of of the Canaanites all had their own gods that they worshipped. They had many gods that they would worship. But you see what God has done in Rahab's heart? She has recognized that Yahweh, the God of Israel, He is the one true living God. That all these other gods, the gods of Egypt, the gods of the Amorites, the gods of the Canaanites, they're, they're false gods because they, they can't stand before the God of Israel. I mean, really, it's kind of, in one sense, it's, it, it's kind of a simple deduction, but yet we know that apart from God's grace, she wouldn't have come to that deduct, conclusion, right? That the Lord, what a, what a powerful confession of faith. The Lord, your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. That's her renouncing the gods that she's grown up with. That's her renouncing the the gods that her culture exalts. She's saying the Lord, your God, is the true living God. He's not just one, uh, one God over a certain area or a certain group of people. She's saying he is Lord of heaven and earth. He is Lord of all. Interesting, Rahab's confession was the, is worded in such a way that it's the same conclusion that Israel itself was to reach about their God. You might want to just jot down Deuteronomy 4.39. Deuteronomy 4.39. Remember what's happening in Deuteronomy? Uh, it's the second generation of Israelites after they've wandered in the, in the wilderness for 40 years and all the adults have died off except Joshua, Caleb, and Moses at that time. And it's Moses renewing, it's reiterating the covenant to them. God uh, renewing the covenant with this next generation. And as he's doing that, as he's giving them the laws, as he's saying what God's going to do for them, he says in Deuteronomy 4.39, Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. 
That was one of the main things that Israel was supposed to recognize. That was, that was the, one of the main confessions they were to have themselves, right? Because they're entering into this land where they're going to be exposed to all these gods. And so they needed to hold fast to the fact that, no, those are false gods. Our God is the true God. He is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. And here's Rahab almost verbatim saying that. It's a powerful, true, biblical confession. Amazing. Here's this pagan Canaanite harlot with this Israelite confession on her lips. Rahab recognized that Israel's God is the true God and that he is certainly able to defeat any who stand in his way. Rahab not only recognized who God is, but notice she knew and believed in what God had promised. For that, look back again at verse 9. I know that the Lord has given you the land. Right? Again, pretty straightforward. Somehow Rahab had heard how God had promised the land of Canaan to Israel. And we talked about that in the last few weeks, right? I don't know if she knew that that promise went further back than Joshua, went further back than Moses. It went all, goes all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? But she knew that God had promised the land to Israel, and she believed God was going to deliver on what he had promised to his people. That's faith. Now here's another key point. I'm I'm just going to kind of spoiler alert, alert, right? Um, I hope you see where the Bible holds Rahab up as a model of what faith looks like. Right? And we'll see that a little, little bit later. So as I'm pointing these things out to you, we should be thinking like, wow, these are the same kind of uh, components that should describe my faith, right? I need to know and believe who God is. I need to know and believe that he keeps his promises. And now this next thing. Rahab not only confessed truths about God, but these truths drove her to seek refuge in God. These truths drove her to seek refuge in God. Look at verse 12 now. She says, you know, right, she's made this confession. She says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to me, and deliver our lives from death. So, again, we can kind of see the progression here, right? I know that your God is the true God. None can stand before him. And I know that he's promised you this land where I'm at right now, this city. And so she's saying, I know that we're going to fall before you. You're going to conquer our city. And so when you do, please spare me. Please spare me and my family. That's what she asked for. And again, that shows the, the, 
the genuineness of her faith. She's not just giving lip service, saying, yeah, yeah, I know your God is is Lord of all, and, and yeah, yeah, I know he's made these promises. I mean, she's acting on those promises. She knew that Jericho's days were numbered. Even though Jericho, as we're going to see, is protected by this great wall, and even though Jericho was a well-advanced city and no doubt had a, a, a sophisticated military, she knows, hey, we're going to lose. <laughs> because your God is God of heaven and earth. Just as the Lord had defeated Egypt, and just as the Lord had defeated Sihon and Og, Rahab knew that Jericho was going to fall before Israel as well, and she longs for deliverance. She wants to be rescued from the judgment that is to come. She wants her and her family to escape God's wrath that is soon to fall upon Jericho. And so she casts herself upon the mercy of of the Lord and of his people, asking the men to spare her and her family from the coming destruction. Verse 14. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So the men like, you got, you got yourself a deal, Rahab, <laughs> right? They agree. If Rahab does not betray them, then she and her family will be spared. Okay? So think about what we've seen so far. We've seen Rahab confess faith in the Lord, and she's already begun to demonstrate the genuineness of that faith because she's acting upon it in, in a couple of different ways, right? And that leads me into... Verses 15 through 21, I called it evidence of her faith. We've seen the confession of her faith. Now, notice with me the evidence of her faith. I mean, like I said, Rahab hiding the spies to begin with was already evidence, right? That she would take that risk and lie about it. But now, in verses 15 through 21, she helps the spies escape. She's further demonstrating evidence of her faith. Verse 15, Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. Remember, verse 7 had said that the gates had been shut. All right, so they need another way out. And since Rahab's house is built into the wall itself, the Hebrew spies could escape out her window, as we'll see, descending the wall with a rope. Now, verse 16 starts this kind of long conversation with them. And uh, again, it's kind of a minor point, but the ESV just says, and she said to them, and and then it records this. (laughs) And so you kind of have to think like, okay, is she yelling down from the wall at them? Like, are they already on the ground? Are they like halfway down dangling from the rope and they're, they're going through all these details? That doesn't seem, neither one of those seem very likely to me. And so... If you have an NIV, um, it translates this because the Hebrew verb can be translated this way. She had said to them. Again, it doesn't really matter, but if you're just trying to piece together the, the occurrence here. So it, it seems like what this is kind of a literary thing that, you know, it's like this is happening. They're, they're escaping the wall. Then we kind of flash back, you know, just a, a couple of minutes earlier. And we, we hear this conversation that they had together. Okay. 
So here's how she's helping them escape. She tells them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. So she's wisely sending the spies in the opposite direction from where she had sent the pursuers, right? Remember, she had sent the king's men had gone east toward the Jordan and its fords, verse 7 said. Well, now Rahab is sending the spies to the hills which were west of Jericho, opposite direction. Before they go, the Hebrew spies give some instructions to Rahab regarding the deal they've made with her. They're kind of putting a few extra conditions on it, actually, right? Verse 17, excuse me, verse 17, the men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of, our, of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your, brother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and, he shall be, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. And if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. So the spies assure Rahab that when Israel conquers Jericho, she and her family will be spared as long as she meets these three conditions. The first one they've already said to her, but they just reiterate it. Don't tell anybody about us, right? Second condition, when the time comes, Rahab, you need to gather all your family into your house. And then the third condition, Rahab, tie a scarlet cord in the window, the same window that we are being let down through. Okay? Now, a couple of clarifications here. Uh, The scarlet cord is not the same escape rope that they use to, to um, descend the wall. We know that because um, the Hebrew words are different. Cord in verse 18 and rope in verse 15 are two different Hebrew words. The purpose of the scarlet cord is to clearly mark off Rahab's house so that when the Israelites attack, they know where Rahab and her family are so they can be spared. Okay? Verse 21, she agrees. She agrees. According to your words, so be it. And then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So she agrees to the conditions they laid out. She sends them away and she goes ahead and does it right now. I don't blame her, right? (laughs) Not something you want to procrastinate on. She obeys right away. Again, just a minor clarification. I... um, I know the, the fact that this, the cord is scarlet, it, it kind of gets us thinking and, and about Jesus, and that's always a good thing when we're thinking about Jesus, right? I'm, so some people see the scarlet cord as a type pointing forward to Christ's blood shed on the cross to rescue sinners, and no doubt the Bible does use types to point forward to the person and work of, of Jesus, All right? I mean, that's a tool the Bible uses, there's many examples. A, a, a couple would be um, in Second, uh, excuse me, uh, Romans five, verse fourteen. It talks about how Adam is a is called a pattern or a type of the one to come. He's a type of Christ. 
1 Peter 3 says the waters from which Noah was saved were a type pointing forward to Christian baptism. But again, the Bible is the one that tells us that, right? And so I bring that up to say nowhere does the Bible say, hey, this scarlet cord should make you think about Christ's blood on the cross, right? Um, now, again, the fact that it does, I mean, that's, that's, that's good. You know, we, we want to be thinking about Jesus, but I don't, the Bible doesn't tell us that this, that's what it's specifically trying to point toward, okay? What the Bible does emphasize, and I'm going to show you in the New Testament, is it draws our attention to Rahab's faith. It draws our attention to the fact that Rahab's outward obedience indicated, demonstrated that she had a a real inner faith. And for this, I ask you to turn to James chapter 2. You can hold your place there in Joshua if you choose. James chapter 2. Pastor Shannon read this for us earlier. I just want to hone in on two verses. James 2.25. Again, we heard the whole passage earlier. We know it's a a passage where uh, James is talking about the fact that true faith is a living faith that shows itself in fruit, in outward, outward works. And so he's giving some examples of that. He gives the example of Abraham... And then he gives the example in verse 25 of James 2 of Rahab. Kind of an interesting combination there, isn't it? (laughs) Abraham and Rahab. Verse 25. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead dead now again like i said that's a whole point that james is making and we we know other places in the new testament paul belabors the fact that that justification is by grace through faith alone and but what james is saying is a true faith in christ is going to change your life and it is going to result in you living differently in you having works And he needs to warn us about that, right? Because part of the deception of sin is people can say, oh, yeah, yeah, I I believe in Jesus, but then they never change, right? Maybe they don't want to go to hell, and so they profess faith in Christ, but they don't really submit to Christ. They don't really follow Christ. And and James is pointing out the same thing Jesus pointed out, that that's not a real faith. That person is not really a Christian, right? So he points to Rahab and says, This is somebody who had real faith. How do we know? Well, look at what she did. (laughs) I mean, she she risked her very life to help these spies. Why? Because she believed that their God was the true God and that wrath was coming and she wanted to be saved from that wrath. And so this helps us understand that all of Rahab's actions, hiding the slaves, sending them off in safety, tying the cord, all of that demonstrated the genuineness of her faith. The Bible's clear that true faith in Christ will bear noticeable fruit in our lives. It'll bear repentance of sin, humbly crying out to God for mercy, confessing Jesus as Lord, seeking to follow him as Lord, having a growing love for God and love for others. 
These are all marks of, of true faith. And we should constantly be examining ourselves, right? Another verse, interesting, Rahab's mentioned another time in the New Testament as an example of faith. Anybody want to guess where that is? Hebrews 11. What's Hebrews 11, right? The, the hall of fame of faith, right? Or the hall of faith, whatever we say. All the people that demonstrated faith. Hebrews eleven thirty one says, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So you see, no doubt about it, Rahab is lifted up for us in the New Testament as an example of true faith. Of faith that results in salvation by God's grace. And I've I've tried to point that out along the way, right? What those components are. Rahab knew and believed the truth of who God is and what he has promised, right? I mean, to... In order to be saved, you need to know some things, right? You need to, the gospel is, is, is doctrine. The gospel is content. You need to know that Christ is the Son of God and that he lived and died in the place of sinners and that he rose again and reigns now as Lord, right? You need to know that, that you're a sinner and that on your own, you, you're separated from God and you're, you're headed for eternal punishment, But that all who call upon Christ by faith are saved, are forgiven, are united to Christ and welcomed into his kingdom and adopted into God's family. Right? You need to know some things. And then you need to act on that truth. And again, that's what Rahab did. She acted on that truth to take refuge in God from his coming wrath. And here's where I want to point something out. And you know, maybe we'll talk about this later when when we actually have Israel defeating Jericho. But isn't it interesting that Rahab said, you know what, the whole city is scared of you guys. The whole city is melting in fear. We know what your God has done. But then what are we going to see them do when they come? Are we going to see hordes of people say, (laughs) we confess, right? Are they going to do what Rahab did? Your God is the true God and we please save us. No, they're going to resist and they're going to fight. And they're going to die and perish. And so, see, it's not enough to know and it's not enough to be scared and say, man, I don't want to go to hell. You got to take refuge in Christ. You need to act on it. And and as we often try to emphasize, because the Bible does, that means not only saying, Lord, save me, but saying, Lord, I surrender. You're Lord. I'm going to follow you. I've been, I've been living for myself. That's what my sin is, is me living for myself and in rebellion against you. And I'm forsaking that now, and I want to, I want to follow Christ. That's how you seek refuge in, in Jesus. And then that, the, the genuineness of that faith, of that conversion it will be demonstrated through obedience. will be demonstrated through fruit. Repentance is the first, repentance and faith is the first fruit, right? But then it'll be seen in an ongoing relationship with God. 
It, not that we know we're not going to be perfect. We, we, we all testify as Christians. We sin, unfortunately, every day. But by God's grace, we repent of that sin and we continue to seek to follow Christ and to grow in the grace and knowledge of, of the Lord. And so that's why Rahab is a, is a good example for us. That's what James is saying. Her faith was no dead faith. Her faith was no lip service. Her faith resulted in real action, demonstrated obedience. And so I would just encourage each of you to evaluate your faith. Do I see fruit in my life? Then lastly, we'll just close quickly with the result of her faith. We see that as the story wraps up in verses 22 through 24. Right? Remember, she sent the spies off, and then so it says, verse 22, they departed and went into the hills. They, did, they do what she said, remain there three days until the pursuers returned, and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then two men returned, meaning they returned to Joshua. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So I call this the result of her faith. I mean, the fact that, you know, she demonstrated faith meant the spies were saved, their mission was successful, the people were encouraged, they know that you know, it's just affirming, yes, God is keeping his promises like we knew he would. But I also imagine the spies telling the story of Rahab and how that would have been further encouragement to the people of God. Wow, God, look at how you're at work. Not only are you, you know, working through a very unlikely source to save the skin of our spies, but man, you're at work in that you're already calling other nations to yourself. We'll see later, as we think about the result of Rahab's faith, we'll see later in Joshua 6 that Rahab and her family were rescued when the Israelites conquered Jericho. And not only are, there, are their lives spared, but think about it. Rahab and her family become part of the covenant people of God, right? Imagine what that would have been like for Rahab, right? When Jericho's conquered and now... Israel comes in and now they're marching on ahead looking for God to fulfill his promises. They, Rahab and her family are assimilated into the covenant people of God. She got to then worship God with, with the other Israelites. She got to offer sacrifices rejoicing in God's forgiveness. She got to learn more fully about the promises of God. And even how those, those various sacrifices are pointing ahead to a promised seed of Abraham through whom all nations would be blessed. She herself being kind of the, in the initial down payment of that promise. All nations are starting to be blessed. They're starting to come into the covenant people of God. I close with this. Think about what an unlikely convert Rahab was. Rahab is an unlikely person to have demonstrated faith in, in the Lord and to have acted on that faith in a very courageous way. 
But that just shows us the power of God's grace. That shows us the reach of God's sovereign grace. That God in his kindness and grace brought the truth of who he is and the truth of his promises that he brought them to this woman Rahab. And that as she heard that, unlike many other people who were just hardened in their resolve against God and his people, God actually opened up her heart so that she believed these truths and acted upon them in faith, saying, I want that God to be my God. And so I hope we just stand in awe of the reach of God's sovereign grace. Who would have thought that a Gentile prostitute in the heart of Jericho would believe and follow the God of Israel? And there's one more cool nugget I haven't shared with you yet. In Matthew 1.5, it shows that Rahab is further blessed to be one of the human ancestors of Jesus of Nazareth. Amazing grace, huh? So be encouraged, loved ones, of the reach of God's sovereign grace. Christian, think about how God's grace reached you at some point in your life. Share that story with others. Maybe it was during your college years that the grace of God reached you. Maybe it was through your family growing up. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was a neighbor. Maybe it was something you heard on the radio or But for each one of us who are Christians, God's grace has reached us. Somehow God in his kindness reached us with the gospel. We heard and believed the truth of our sin and separation from God. We heard and believed about the love of Jesus to suffer and die in the place of sinners. We heard and believed and rejoiced in Christ's victory over sin and death. We heard and, and were so thankful for the good news of forgiveness and eternal life through Christ. Some of us may have had doubts. Some of us may have had questions. But God in his grace caused us to run to him for mercy. God gave us the faith to embrace Christ as Savior and Lord. And that highlights the reach of God's sovereign grace. And there may be some here today who are thinking, am I beyond the reach of God's grace. I've done a lot of bad things. I've ignored him for a long time. Would, would God truly forgive me? Would God really bring me into his family? Is there grace enough to reach me? And I can say, I'm... On the authority of Scripture, yes, there is. The very name of our church points to that. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Romans 5.20 Let the account of Rahab remind you that God is a gracious God. Let the true story of Rahab teach you that God rescues and forgives all who call on Christ by faith. So turn from your sin and trust in Jesus alone for your forgiveness and eternal life with God. 
believe the promises of God that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believe the promises of God that says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. Believe the promises of God that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. May Rahab's testimony teach us and encourage us that no one is beyond the reach of God's sovereign grace. And so, Christian, today, may that encourage you. That, that wayward child, that pagan co-worker, that hard-hearted family member, God's grace can still reach them. God's grace can still grab them and draw them to faith in Christ. So keep praying for them. Keep loving on them. Keep declaring the gospel to them. Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And the last application I was thinking about, again, when we think about the reach of God's sovereign grace. I just have one more word for Christians. You may fear that God, he's forgiven you, but man, he is just fed up with you. You've been struggling with the same sins for so long. You've repented so many times that, that, to be honest, anymore, you're just kind of ashamed of even going through the process. You, you just don't even feel like dealing with your sin because you know you've sinned so many times and repented so many times. You might be wondering, that, you know, is there any hope for me? Is God just kind of, you know, am I kind of just relegated to God's doghouse the rest of my life. And I want to tell you, there's grace for you. The reach of God's grace reaches you. He's already poured out his grace on you. You're his beloved child. You have not used up God's grace. You will never out the grace of God, Christian. You will never outsend the grace of God. He continues to forgive. He continues to love. 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's grace and love flow from a well that never runs dry. So keep drawing near to Christ. Keep running into the loving arms of your Father. Confess your sins. By no means treat them lightly. Confess them, hate them, forsake those sins. But run to the Father and affirm His love for you. Request His grace to help you grow and change. You are never beyond the reach of God's sovereign grace. And so may we all run to and rest in His grace through faith in Christ. Father, we praise you that, again, we, as, as we began, we stand in awe of you. That you are a God so gracious, so forgiving, so powerful. Lord, you break down cultural barriers. You break down socio, social economic barriers. You break down language. All these things, Father. And, and you draw your people to yourself. And we praise you for that. We praise you, Father, that many of us in this room 
have been reached by your grace. Many of us were not looking for you. We were maybe even running the other way, but your grace reached us, Father, and we praise you for that, and we thank you. And Father, we, we pray for those that who still need to turn to you. Well, Father, maybe some even in this room still who have not embraced you as Lord and Savior, they just have been ignoring you. They've been obstinate to you. Father, show the power of your grace in breaking down their their walls of hostility and breaking down the hardness of their heart. Show your, your recreating power and give them a new heart, we pray. And we pray that for our loved ones. We pray that for our neighbors. We pray that for our co-workers. Oh, Father, may we see the fingers of your grace reach out in many ways. May we be the instruments of that grace to, to keep praying for them and taking the good news to them. And may we all just continue to revel in and rest in your grace and may your grace transform us day by day from glory to glory more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Will you stand please and we'll continue to worship through song.